First Peter chapter four. Therefore, well, loaded word, right? Um, and uh, you know what I'm going to say. If you find therefore written in your Bible, it's your responsibility to find out what the therefore is there for. Okay. Um, in light of everything that Peter has said, and in particular, the focus is the suffering of Christ. Okay. Since he suffered on our behalf, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, and I, I want to make the doctrinal position again, right? There is the false teaching that extends out a lot of directions that Jesus went to hell, okay? Scripture does not tell us that. It doesn't indicate that, okay? It, it, it literally, what does he say on the cross? Into your hands I commend my spirit, okay? Um, we talked in the last chapter about how he preached to the imprisoned souls. I pointed out that Jesus shows us the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man goes to hell, can see there uh, the uh, uh, occupants of Abraham's bosom. Okay, Th There are things in the afterlife we do not understand. Right, We get glimpses of them, and then all of the theologians on planet Earth want to argue about what they mean. Okay? We, we have to take what the scripture clearly tells us and clearly hold to that. To add imagination or speculation to it gets dangerous. We can create things that aren't real. We can establish doctrine that is nothing more than dogma. Okay? Uh, Jesus was in, uh, the, there are specific words, he was in the place of the dead for three days. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of people who are dead who are in heaven. Okay, there is the grave, the suffering. Let's just get away from that discussion and debate for a second and understand that the suffering that Jesus went through, we witnessed, right? Sweat great drops of blood in the garden, taken under arrest and beaten mercilessly, scourged with a cat of nine tails by the Romans as his flesh was ripped from his body, right? Robe, imagine, one-piece robe being yanked down over your body, which is now one giant open wound, right? Crown of thorns beaten into his head. That robe being wrenched off him, his body after it had coagulated into those wounds. Then having the nails driven through, no, not his hand, his wrist, Right? This is the hand to the Roman. They always crucified through the forearm here so that the nail would not tear out of the hand. They would put it behind the metacarpal bone. It would pierce the metacarpal nerve. It would cause the thumb to fold in because of the piercing of the metacarpal nerve. And they would hang on that bone, their full body weight. Okay, so... Suffering, profound suffering. There, dying through all that pain, then pierced through the side. Laid in the grave, three days rose again. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Here's a, a concept. Arm yourself in the same mind, okay? If you are going to wrestle with my grandson, who you can hear in the other room, right? You're probably going to have to arm yourself. He's a wiry little kid, right? But the worst you're going to have to arm yourself with is a Nerf gun, right? You know? A pillow, right? You know, highly skilled tickling capabilities. These, these are the things you will arm yourself if you're going against him. If you're going against hardened soldiers, 
in hand-to-hand combat who have thick metal shields, thick metal breastplate, girded about tightly, exercise, workout, hone their skills daily, heavy Roman helmet, shin braces, boots with steel cleats. Right? You could hear Roman soldiers from miles away as they pound the pavement with their marching. If you're going up against those guys, you want the... They came with two shields and two swords. How about that? Um, <clears throat> their most common form of longer-range artillery was not arrows because they could be seen flying through the air. The arrow, the most common long-range artillery for them. They did use bigger stuff, trebuchet, things of that nature, but it was the sling. They had as many slingers in their regiment as they did archers. Their lead shot for their slings weighed more than an ounce each shot. They could hurl that projectile more than 1,200 feet. Okay? They could hit at anything under 100 feet. They could hit it in the eye. Okay? Their lead shot was shaped like a rugby ball. Right? Not a football. With ends, but, but it was tapered to both ends. And they would whirl that around and release... And now you can't see it. You just know it's in the air. Okay? As those things come whistling out of the air, they're traveling so fast they could pass through a human body. They would embed themselves in the ground, even when passing through a human body, pass through the body and embed themselves in the ground, so you can't pick them up and fire them back. Right? They preferred the lead shot from the slingers over the archers, because if the archers fire the arrows, then the returning arching team can retrieve the ammunition and fire it back. Lead shot, right? The only time you know it's coming is when you see the motion, you see the release, and take cover, because it's going to hail down upon you. Right? It, it was the most common form of longer range shot that they used. You go up against these guys, you need heavy armament. You do not show up on this field with your Nerf gun. Okay? You don't show up on this field of combat even in your football pads. You show up in metal armament yourself and even with an equal helmet to their own, if they struck you in the head with that, it would kill you. So... You need the shield over your head as that stuff gets released. You need fighting tactics, capabilities, and understanding. And if you come into close quarter combat hand-to-hand, you got to have equal match skill. So here, this suffering, right, that Christ has gone through, arm yourself with the same mind. Christ went through horrific suffering. Horrific suffering. Are you armed with that same mind? I can assure you that the modern church is not armed with this same mindset. The modern church is weak. The modern church is soft. The modern church is girly. Forgive me, ladies. Right? They they are girly men. And, And they're being encouraged to be so. Right? They are being discouraged from having grit in teeth. This, this is not productive. You know, make everything as cool. Make everything as soft. Make everything as enjoyable as you possibly can. Tell me, enduring right, temptation and the difficulties and the challenges of life, Right? You, you can say, I'm, I'm a faithful Christian, up until right the spiritual warfare blows up in your face. Right When you're walking around gathering pieces of yourself 
from what just hit you. It's not time to think, my latte is too cold. This world will rip the bark right off from you. And if you don't have a mindset to be as strong as your Savior, right? None of us is as strong as our Savior. Amen? But if you don't look at his example and think, I need to strengthen myself in like manner, then you're going to get throttled. That's what's going to happen. Now, if you've got a personal determination and yet you're weak, when you go into those situations and you get trounced, you will learn some things along the way. You will. And your perseverance may fashion within you what is needed. But but adopting a mindset of weakness is detrimental to the faith. And it's why you're witnessing such collapse right now. That's why you're seeing, right, the term is apostasy, departure. That's why you're seeing a mass exodus out of the church, right? And, and, I, and, and let's be clear, right? The church is defined by Christ. He has said, this is what the church will behave like. This is what the church will contain. This is what the church will not contain. He has defined the church. So when I say a departure from the church, there's a whole bunch of people who will insist to you, I'm a Christian, I'm of the church, and they're not. They have departed. They have left. They have removed themselves. They do not hold to the tenets of our faith. So within this, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So he goes right to the point that if if you've been dragged through the fires, then you're going to stop. You're going to stop pursuing the flesh. And he gets more detailed about this as we go along. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Time. Okay. Big breakdowns of time. People go through lots of different explanations. I gave out, uh, you know, uh, the, the breakdown of my time on this earth uh, that I've already spent the number of days. Um, you know, it's all part of last week's study. You do the math for yourself. We're told in the scripture that man has roughly 60 years. That's really disappointing to a bunch of us. Okay. Um, if by reason of strength, it's extended to 80, that will be through great labor and suffer, the scripture says. Okay, and that's generally true. The outside envelope, according to the scripture, is 120 years. Okay, that's, I mean, you're talking Guinness Book of World Records stuff. Those that get into that few select neighborhood. It, it is normal to be somewhere. So, so now do 365 times 60. So that gives you a total number of days. Now, take your age times 365. And subtract it from that total number. And whatever you got for balance, that's your number of days left. Okay, now you got to do massive division within those days. Break it down into hours, right? The time that you have on this earth. And consider how many hours of a day do you sleep? How many hours of a day uh, do you drive in your car? How many hours of a day uh, do you brush your teeth? Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that just whittle away the time. If you've got four hours, right, of leisure time in a day, you're amongst a very small group of people. You really are. Everything else is consumed. Four hours of your day invested in the Lord. Right? That That's a really small window in the 20 hours that's been consumed by everything else. So here, when he's saying the remainder of your time, and then he says the lust of the flesh, that term we often assign to sexual behavior. He does discuss that here as we move forward, but that's not what he's referencing here. He's just talking about the things that your flesh desires, right? What what would, you know, enter your eye and cause you to say, oh, I want that. Well, whatever that is, you know. 
if, if you just know I, I've got to perfect my backhand before I leave this world and you're just at the tennis court every you know day, then you know the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, whatever thing has consumed you, right? If it's Beanie Babies or I don't know what it is. It's just, it's guns, was it guns? Browning, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, you just, your Mossberg, whatever thing, your fishing rod that, that you have become obsessed with. So consider when he's saying you've got to consider your time and how much of it is consumed by your flesh because we really can't categorize the necessities inside that. You've got to work. You've got to eat. You've got to sleep, right? So even if you've trimmed some of those things down, those are the necessities of life. Now what time do you have remaining? Now how much is being spent upon the Lord versus how much is being spent upon your flesh? No? It's astonishing to consider that social media has become a prominent portion of people's time daily. Prominent. Not minor, prominent. It's amazing to consider. Entertainment, okay? If you say, I'm not into social media, how about entertainment? Can we broaden the spectrum that far? You know, look at how it's taken over, right? I mean, right, I mean, how far do we have to go back, right? I mean, do you ever get charged late fees? Not returning the tape on time, right? Did you get charged late fees for a movie you never ended up watching? Did that happen? Did you rewind? Were you kind? Did you rewind? No. Did you Did you have Netflix when you had to mail them in and then wait for them to come back? Did you have that? you knew when that was there that it was going to become digital and you were going to be able to get it on your, uh, you know, television, your computer. You never imagined it would actually show up on your watch. What is this, Dick Tracy? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here we are, you guys. It's consuming. It's consuming the world around us. I got to tell you, it's bizarre to be in a developing country and see people that don't have clothes, but they have a cell phone. It's weird. Tell me there's not a conspiracy somewhere there that it's just out of focus slightly. Consuming people's hearts and minds. So within this, he's saying, since Christ suffered for you, you've got to have a similar mindset to consider the time in order to avoid the lust of your flesh. The exact opposite, right? <laughs> Leisure, pleasure, that's the exact opposite of what Christ did, amen? The torturous experience for my benefit. Remarkable what this man went through. And so here we got to pursue the will of God for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. And listen, this isn't a race thing. This is him saying saved versus unsaved. We've spent enough time doing the things that unsaved people do, right? If you're here this evening and you're studying this passage with me, surely you consider yourself a child of God, born again. If that be the case, then in all likelihood there is at least some portion of time in your past that was spent pursuing ungodly things. And here, Peter is saying, enough is enough. Right? If you're reading my letter, <laughs> surely you realize it's time to be done with those things. If you're watching the news the past couple of days, Surely you know it's time to be done with those things. If you ever had a question, if you were ever looking around thinking, well, I wonder if it'll happen in my lifetime, please tell me that you're at least more convinced today that it's probably going to happen in your lifetime. The things that are transpiring right now are remarkable. And here, right, God is patient, and he says that 
because the world accuses him, and Peter brings it up, uh, of, you know, if God is, well, then why is he taking so long? Peter says, look, you think that God is somehow dropping the ball. I'm paraphrasing all of this. Right? He, he says God is patient, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So the fact that right now things are just cooking like crazy, if they cool off, don't go back to sleep. Right? You, hey, you've done that, right? You, you got all consumed with yesterday and meant to go to bed on time. And, man, it got late and you were like, I've got to, I've got to get up early. And, you know, then one more thing blew up and you stay, and you finally went to bed. And you're like, I am going to get, like, five hours. This is so dumb. But the five hours and you lay down, when that alarm clock goes off three and a half seconds later, and you hit the snooze, and it instantly goes off again. <laughs> you know, the nine or ten minutes or whatever it is passes in a millisecond. Boy, the second or third time, you have to sit up and be like, I am like, I am not going to get out of this bed unless I get out of this bed. I'm so exhausted. Uh, listen, the flesh will create a stupor. That when the news settles down, spiritually, people just zoink right out again. No? Remember 9-11? Standing room only in our church. Standing room. And I'm talking like there were 200 people standing. The brew, every seat was full, and there were 200 people in our church. Not this church, but where Lori and I were attending. And that was three services a Sunday morning. Church was packed. Packed. We're having to usher people into the parking lot over here and get, them, get these cars out and slot them. A few weeks later, back to normal. We'd gained a few faces. Everybody else, gone. Gone, right? People get all riled up about mask mandates, and I can't believe it. Oh, now, well, I mean, you know, what do they say? New normal. That phrase drives me nuts. It's time to be wide awake. Wide awake and worried. Well, no, not worried, but wide awake. Wide awake for what's going on around us. You spent the past, enough of your past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. When you walked in lewdness, lusts, those two things, do imply the sexual. You spent enough time there. You, you know, you, you, you've had your fill. Maybe you don't think of that. You've had your fill. Okay, right? You, know, you need to be done with that. Drunkenness. Surely that needs no explanation, right? Because it does include all intoxication. Spend enough time interfering with your brain's function. Be done with that. Revelries. It's an interesting thing, revelries. Because it, it, they, they translated this from a phrase that meant to be Wandering loudly in the streets at night. <laughs> that paints a picture, huh? And the King James scholars were like, God, you know, in English, I mean, what, is there a word? Is it revelry? You know, just, you've seen, you've been that guy, stag person, stagger, oh, hooray, you know, just, you know, for what reason? Don't know. It's just, you know, it's midnight and I'm yelling. <laughs> uh, what? Died with the dog. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Enough of the revelries. You know, senseless, loud, obnoxious, shut up. Enough of the sexual, the sensual, the drunkenness, the revelry. Drinking parties, listen. You go, right, drinking party. No, this is the games. Of drinking, like I, you know, I, I, I have never played pong, but I've seen it. 
This is literally, it's in the scripture. You know, for the people that today are like, you know, the Bible really isn't relevant. <laughs> really? Tell me that all of this does not apply to our culture. Peter is literally addressing drinking games. Enough of that. Quarters, darts, pong, whatever stupid thing you're doing associated with drinking. Done, is what he's saying, right? The world's going to do this, right? This is the things of the Gentiles. Of course, Gentiles, unbelievers, that's what he said. Unbelievers are going to do this junk. Fine. Fine. I mean, it's wrong, it's sinful. We should do everything we could to reach into that environment, pull those people out of there. But you're sitting here in Bible study. None of this belongs to you anymore. Gone. This needs to be done. It needs to be out of our lives. If it's not, let it be a rebuke. Let, let it be a thing that stands right up, puts its finger around your nose, your nose and says, you. Done. You know, maybe you're not in this room. Maybe you're watching online. Let it be a thing that if you profess yourself to be a believer, the Holy Spirit is saying, these things don't belong to you anymore. You only got so many hours in a day. There's so many, only so many hours left open in your life to pursue the things of the Lord. Be done with these wasteful things. Make them, assign them to the past. Put them behind you. And be done with it. Abominable idolatries. Oh, that, that's a much larger area than you think. Right? Old Testament and New Testament both assign idolatry to the worship of demons. Okay? If you've read through Corinthians and you're thinking Paul was saying, no, that's not the case. No, he was actually confirming it. He was saying, when you bowed yourself down to the idol, right, the idol was nothing, but the power behind it was demonic. No, I'm not an idol worshiper. Has money obsessed your heart? Because no one can worship God and money. You'll love one and hate the other. Those are the words of Jesus, right? Idolatry permeates our culture on a lot of levels. A lot of levels. The most prominent is money and materialism. Buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and possess and more and order. And Amazon has just filled that, hasn't it? It's outrageous. The amount of garbage available. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. These are the Gentile unbelievers. In regard to these Gentiles that we're talking about, all of their behaviors, right? They think it foreign is actually the term. Strange, you know, if, if you know, <laughs> around here, 3.8 million visitors to Acadia National Park every year. You know, whether you're aware of that or not. And you'll be down in Bar Harbor, and someone will just bust out talking to their friends in German, right? And you're like, foreign. I, I no idea. Sounds like they're mad at me. Not sure why. Just, you know... What is going on? Foreign, alien, strange, right? Mysterious, weird. They look at you and it's foreign. That you aren't getting hammered. That you're not out in the middle of the night screaming and hooting and hollering with them and playing the drinking party and doing all those things, right? They expect you to speak their language. And then you open your mouth and they're like, Jesus, what? Savior, Lord, Bible study. Wait, are you, what are you talking about? When I looked at you, I thought I knew your language and now everything you say is foreign. So then they speak evil. So then they say, 
you're wicked. Right? This is actually a frequent assumption when people are amongst foreigners. Right? They're just laughing and talking, but you don't understand their language. And because of the barrier, the assumption very often just pops up of they are speaking and laughing about me. The assumption, right? So you're in their midst and you're talking about the Lord and your relationship with the Lord and church and worship. And they're like, oh, right. So you're better than me. I, I, I wasn't even implying that. Right? The assumption because of how foreign it is that it's somehow evil. He's saying that's going to be the obvious outcome. You should be expecting this. Right? The church, again, go back to the softness I described at the beginning. The church is very consumed right now with trying to meet the approval of the world. Just like we got to win them over. I got to be the coolest Christian until they like me. They're never going to because you are a foreigner to them. It makes no sense on Friday night that you're not out doing their junk with them. They do not understand that. Just like most of us did not understand that. We, we hated it. We had an animosity toward it. We would avoid it. Why, why in the world would you, you consume one day of your weekend by going to church? What a waste. It, it is foreign. It is a thing that is detestable to them. Regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. The flood of dissipation, right? Things coming to an end, uh, of being poured out, of, of being used up. When something dissipates, right? You know, there's the, the way that this is written, it has the thought behind it of like the tuning fork, you know? You strike the tuning fork and you hold it up to your ear, and at first it's very strong, and then it just slowly fades off. Everything you have, everything you do, everything that you are, all of re your resources, by living that way, is just fading off. Coming to nothing, being destroyed. See, and when we live for the Lord, it's the opposite. It's building more and more and more towards fruitfulness and life. Rather than coming to nothing, we're, we're actually coming to everything in Christ, right? At the very end, we enter his presence and all is revealed. The reward, the fruitfulness, where with the world, it just goes into the grave. And it zeroes out. And it means nothing in the end. We're not part of that flood. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, because of the previous chapter, some people then take that and say, yeah, so Jesus went and preached to those who have you know, already died. No, the, the implication seems to be that uh, they were alive once and heard this message. They, they were given, oh, well, what about the guy in the darkest jungle who never, ever heard any of this? Okay, well, the scripture says every man will be judged by God on account to the degree that he knew these things. Well, he never heard. He never knew. Well, he knew it was wrong to steal. He knew that. He did. Because he didn't want anyone to steal things from him. God's law was written on his heart. Right? The cannibal knew it was wrong to be a cannibal. Why? Because he did not want to be eaten. God's law is written on every man's heart. No one's going to stand in front of God and say, You did not inform me. <laughs> God is going to say, no, I did. 
You might have been isolated in this world to a degree that you didn't know much of what others knew, but you knew enough that you should have been obedient to me, should have followed the degree that you understood me. Everyone will face that judgment. So preach to those who are dead that he might judge according to men in the flesh, but Live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You must be serious and watchful. You can't just be watchful. Nor can you be just serious. You have to pay attention. You have to look around. You have to measure the world. You have to consider what's going on. To whatever degree you're capable of that, it takes a very serious approach. Listen, doesn't mean that you have to be completely stoic and never enjoy life, right? If you're a natural comedian, praise God, that's okay. And I've been around groups of Christians that are like, hey, look, let's not ever have any fun. Okay? It's against the law. God, God hates it. You know, that's their, that's their approach to life. And... Uh, it's not God at all. God has a tremendous, tremendous sense of humor. Just, I mean, the platypus, right? I mean, what, just what is going on there? I don't, it's incredible. Just, I could, I could go a long way in talking about the things the platypus is capable of and does and is designed. It's incredible, incredible, dumb-looking, stupid, weird animal, duck, bill, weird beaver. What is going on with the platypus? You know, electrical system inside its snout so sensitive that it can sense crayfish underneath the mud and go find them with electrical current. Can sense the electrical current in their body, find them, dig them up and eat them. You know, we're, we're literally trying to find methods to imitate that in our own instrumentation. The things that are there, venom. Did you know the platypus was venomous? Yeah. Yeah. And what's that? They have a spur. They have a spur, yeah. It's remarkable the things that are there. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that's just you're just left in wonderment about. You know, small weird things, massive, huge, you know, uh, you know planetary things. It's, it's remarkable what what the Lord has created. Seriousness is that focus, watchfulness in your prayers about the world and the time and where we live. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, two parts here, right? Fervent love is that idea of it's friendship that we're talking about, but it's the idea of zealous excitement in friendship, right? You know, just... Uh, <clears throat> I got children, different levels of love. There's, there's all kinds of different things, affection, friendship. It's, it's difficult to explain, but it's the idea that you want, you desire. You have this great, intense want for the friendship that is there. I, I, we all probably have friendships where if, if the opportunity came up, you'd drop everything and just go, you know. You know, my kids are definitely in that, but, you know, unconditional love fits in there. So it's difficult to categorize that. You know, my, my granddaughter, Abigail, my, many of you are praying for her. She's got something going on. And, you know, my strongest temptation is just to drive to Bangor and get on an airplane and go to California. I just, you know, I, I want to be with her. You know, my wife's desire is stronger than mine to do the same thing, you know, just to go be in her presence. We've been texting back and forth. My daughter, Christian, today, I'm talking to her, texting. She's information back and forth. And uh, she shoots this text out uh, that says, uh, you know, what park do you want to meet at? I'm headed downtown right now. She's in Marietta, California. Clearly, she's texting someone else. I respond, the one by Oliver's house. I can be there in 10 minutes. And half of you would have been there also, right? 
if my daughter and my grandkids showed up there. The attachment, that, that fervent love in friendship that would compel you to just, yep, look, are you kidding? You're going to be where we've all dropped everything. We're on our way. And that's the sense. We need to have this fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes those two things are separated in the body of Christ. I had a fervent love for you, but then you were a jerk. You had a fervent love for me, but then I was a jerk. And so all you could do, all we could do, all I did was push that to the surface. And I let the fervent love fade off. And he's saying that can't be so in the body of Christ. Right? What have I said to you guys over and over again about all that it takes to be successful in marriage? All that it takes to be successful in friendships? All that it takes to be successful in relationships in general is grace. That's it. That's all it takes. Be gracious with one another. You know, well, you don't know what my spouse is like. I bet I do. I bet I do. I might not. You might blow my mind. There are some weird people out there. I suspect that the whole time you're telling me, I'm going to be like, yeah, uh-huh, I know. <laughs> right. Mostly because I'm like that myself. You know what I'm saying? It isn't even the woman that I live with. It's just I understand human nature. How do I get along with her? How do you get along? How should With grace. Fervent love for one another. Yeah, they're a jerk. You know, you're right. You're, you know, you're right. <laughs> and they should change. And you should change. And I should change. And we need to change. That's right. And we need to be fervent and serious about our prayer. And we need to apply ourselves and let the Holy Spirit speak to us clearly and no longer deny him access and respond to his leading right. All of those things. But what's going to make the body of Christ get along? Fervent love. Grace. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, he's a jerk. But I mean, do you understand that it was sin? It was sin. Yeah, that's that's what the scripture's saying. <laughs> You know, if you're hanging out with another human being, let me let you in on something. You're hanging out with a sinner. Just, uh, you know, I know, I know that's shocking. <laughs> I know that's shocking, right? Yes, we need to be gracious. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Hospitable. This involves your home. It involves your home. Okay? It involves your life without grumbling. You know, you want to come over? Great. Awesome. Wait a minute. You're lactose intolerant. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Wait, you're a vegan? Wait a minute. And, uh, <laughs> we only eat meat here. You know, it's just, um, oh, fine. You know, it's just. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah. I was going to make a vegetarian lasagna that I realized I had cheese in it and you're a vegan and I threw that out and grumble, grumble. You know, be hospitable. Open your life up. Open your life up to other people. This, this is an earmark. In fact, Paul puts it inside the list of those who are going to be leadership within the church, right? Pastors and elders, so the two teaching classes of the leadership of Christianity, he specifically says they must be hospitable. If they are not hospitable, then they should not be in the teaching leadership of Christianity. That's interesting. That's interesting. Think about how often you see Jesus eating with people. Right? Feeding and food and feasting and 5,000 and fish and broiling and honeycomb. Right? And bread and the cup and food. Hosp hospitality. Jesus was into it. Right? He wants it. No. What are we going to be doing in his presence? Feasting, food, table, banquet, 
right? This is what he's doing, right? No calories there. That's the beautiful thing. Just really. <laughs> Gluttony will not be involved, okay? The Lord wants us, right? No, now consider sacrifice, right? Barbecue. Oh, I'm not just being weird, right? Because you bring it, you give it to the priest. It is put to death there in front of you. Portion gets burned to the Lord. Portion given to the priest. Portion given back to you. Go home and eat. Right? Hospitality. Think about how isolated our culture is. You know what's done that more than anything? Electronics. Here I am back harping on that. But just think about, right, you know, people lose track of how things develop so fast. I was just listening to a Christian commentator the other day saying it was the iPhone that revolutionized the world. Does anybody here remember the crackberry, uh, Blackberry? You know? <laughs> In New York City and London, England, they had to pad the street poles. Because people were walking right into them. <laughs> no joke. Head injuries. Okay? In our own little world, with our headphones on, stepping right out in front of moving buses. Literally. Not let alone noticing that you're there. The church, the church needs to pick its head up and look around. Open its eyes, right? Being watchful and serious. Open your eyes to your neighbor. Look around. Talk to them. Invite them over to your house. No, can't come to your house. Invite them out to dinner. Get Open your life up. Open your life up to the body of Christ. And be prepared. Just know that what you're going to have to do is be really gracious. You're going to have to just be super gracious. Guess how the Lord puts up with you? He just overlooks all of you. <laughs> Every, everything that you are. <laughs> just, he puts up with so much. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Right? Does the Lord do that with you? Like, ah, oh, will I love you so much. And then as soon as I step away, he's talking to the angels like, I can't, can you believe this guy? I just can't hardly stand that deodorant he wears. Uh -huh. you know, just, probably not, huh? Probably not. We are so fleshly, so human. Learning, you guys. Let it be confrontational to your heart and your mind. Right now, let the Lord speak to you. About the necessity of grace. Oh, I love the grace of God. I love it. I love it when it's being poured out on me. Just don't, just, you know, just keep the valve open. Right? In fact, just get rid of the valve. Just, just open, open up the floodgate. But then I'm required to pour it out on somebody else. And I'm like, ah, oh, I just, I don't know. You know, maybe a thimble full. I just, you know. The grace of God, the humility, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then a whole bunch of the church jumps up and wants to speak in tongues or prophesy. Everybody forgets that helps, the gift of helps is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of help. No, nobody remembers that. <laughs> they, all, they all remember almost completely impossible to verify gifts. <laughs> I'm over here babbling mindlessly in a language no one can understand. And if you dare step up and say, I don't think that's real, well, I will call down the fires of heaven upon you, you know. Because I have the gift of tongues, and I have the gift of prophecy. What about the gifts of help? Help. Help that mother get into the church with her kids. Help empty the trash. Help stack the wood. Right? Helps. The gifts of helps. The, the gifts of administration. 
Well, I've stood around and I've watched, and you want to talk about completely disorganized. I don't know if I can stay here any longer because this place is completely unorganized. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to complain, you know, and maybe post two or three things about it once I've left. It's so strange what those who claim to be part of the body of Christ do. You know, are you part of you have gifts? You have you you gifted enough to recognize that, but then not do anything about it. Why not? Why not do anything about it? Why not get involved with the church? Okay, I'll be even more confrontational. You're here this evening. Why not this church? What church were you going to get involved with? So it's better to do it in the one that God has put you in. Because if you have to go find another church, well, then you're going to attend this church and then have to go work at another church. It just It's weird. Why not do it at the one you're at? People are strange in this regard. I have literally had dozens of people. I've been here 20 years. I've literally had dozens of people come and say, I just wanted to tell you the things I've noticed that are being done wrong around here. Lay it on me, man, you know. And I let him go the full distance, and then I say, uh, did you want to do something about that? <laughs> did you, uh, oh, okay, so you were just going to complain. Okay, I got it, thanks. And you can see the realization in their face, like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, I'm just complaining. Yes, <laughs> that's what you're doing, you know. And if I get the opportunity, I encourage them with, look, the whole point of Christianity is you're supposed to become a servant. That's the whole point of our faith. Jesus Christ emptied himself of all of his power and his glory, and he came and he was the servant of everyone. Do you think Jesus showed up in the church, sat down and said, I'm going to sit right here until somebody greets me? <laughs> Probably not, right? Proverbs, he who wishes to have friends must himself be friendly. I've been going to this church for X number of, you know, time, and no one's ever greeted me. <laughs> How many people have you greeted? You know, mumble, grumble. Strange, strange the way the body of Christ thinks. Use the gifts. You know, let, let it be that you would minister to others. Each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Make sure what comes out of your mouth seems like it came from the presence of God. Right? Think about that. You know, even even if you're just talking about uh, the world and the things going on, you know, think about what comes out of your mouth before it comes out of your mouth. You know, my, my pastor taught me long ago, you know, it's much better to say the second thing that comes to mind. Or the third or the fourth. Because <laughs> usually the first thing is detrimental. Now let it be that it's Something that seems, you know, is the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, so now the physical application, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This will be a harsh uh, you know, explanation. I have uh, seen people who want to minister their gift, but they're doing it begrudgingly. They don't really want to do it. And so in the process of doing it, they do whatever they're doing poorly. Right? Well, look, here the Lord is encouraging you, do it to the highest degree that you're That might be much lower than the next person, right? 
but do it to the highest degree you're capable of. Right? That might be, hey, you know, when you can look and see this person did whatever thing in their own life, their own home, their own circumstances, and wow, like that's like admirable. But then when they do it for the Lord, it's like a half measure. Like, oh, that's, you know, unfortunate. If we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to serve the Lord, let's make sure that when we do, we're doing it to the highest standard we possibly can. In the process, there's several factors. One, you're going to bless the people that you're serving. And, and, and let's keep that in mind, right? The ministry is about serving people. It's not, it's not about self-service. It's not about recognition. It's not about what you get out of it. It's about doing for others. So if you're going to do for others, right? When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, how would you like it to be done? Do it to that degree. You know, really try to accomplish what you can. So this, this whole thing, since Christ suffered, right? I specifically talked about uh, the parallel passages that told us, you know, he came to those who were imprisoned and he preached to those who were imprisoned. And I make the point, right, because it says that he ascended, right, that it specifically says that he who ascended first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Well, okay, everybody wants to then argue about was it the grave, was it hell, was it, you know, Abraham's bosom, what are we talking about? Well, let's let's get clear here. Where did he ascend back to? Because that's where the discussion begins. He ascended back to the throne room. So where did he descend to from the throne room? Right here. He descended from glory to the earth. Are we not imprisoned in sin and death and the curse of planet earth? We're imprisoned here. He came and he ministered to us. Did Jesus do it in a half measure? poured himself out completely, right? We need to have this. Therefore, since Christ suffered, tell, tell me, tell me his departure from glory to earth itself. Forget the garden, the beating, the scourging, the crucifixion. Tell me descending from glory to earth was not suffering. This place is suffering. And we're longing for the day where we leave here and we go into that glory. So if Christ descended from glory into this place to suffer on our behalf in servitude to us, if we're going to emulate his character, then it means that we should serve one another with the highest degree that we can. Look, if, if you're sitting here tonight and everything I just said Sounds like I grabbed you in a headlock and pounded on you. Please reject that concept and understand that what I'm doing is standing right here, encouraging you as best I can to rise up and do your best for Christ, for the body of Christ. Whatever opportunity you have, step into that opportunity. Oh, it's going to take time away. Right. That's part of the suffering. Well, it's just going to be so much physical effort. Exactly. Exactly. I might have to invest some of my own in order precisely. Let, let us have the mindset that is others central. That is giving to, serving to, being for others. Does this? Do we hear what Peter is saying to us here this evening? Yes? Let, let, let it be the thing that we live by. Let, let it be that... This is what shines out of us. And I think you can very quickly as I close, look around and recognize this is not by and large what the church is doing. <laughs> by and large, what the church is doing is saying, like, serve me. You know, take care of me, do for me, give to me. Instead, it needs to be the very exact opposite. Christ has touched our hearts and we're looking outward and saying, what can I do for others? Be for others, give to others. Let us let us reflect our Savior. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's the time we have. Will you stand with me and we'll pray?
<clears throat> Lord, we are grateful for your love, for your work in our lives, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. That's the only way we're going to accomplish these things. It's the only way we're going to die to ourselves and serve others. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, the way we already do love ourselves, the way that you love us. We thank you for everything you are and everything you've done and everything you've given to us, the gifts, the blessing, the grace. Help us to reflect that. Help us to be those things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.